We carry the flame of the ones who survived. Ten thousand voices shape the song of our lives. We carry the flame of the ancestors. Listen to your heartbeat. Our rise. We rise like the sea, like the flame, like the wind. We dance like the stars, like the earth as she spins. We rise like the sun, like the moon, like the mist. We rise, we rise, we rise, we resist. We carry the flame of the ones who survived. Ten thousand voices shape the song of our lives. We carry the flame of our Listen to your heartbeat and feel the power rise We rise like the sea, like the flame, like the wind We dance like the stars, like the earth as she spins We rise like the sun, like the moon, like the mist We rise, we rise, we rise, we resist This time of the year, Samhain, Halloween is celebrated worldwide as the Day of the Dead. It is time to honor the ancestors, to celebrate the dead who have gone before. In pre-Christian times, Northern European folk faced their last chance for harvest, the beginning of the hunting season, the time of dread, looking into the coming winter of cold, hunger, danger, and death. Without going into an extended treatise on the history of Christianity, I will just say that after the Emperor Constantine declared Christianity to be the religion, the religion of the Holy Roman Empire in the fourth century, converting so-called pagans to the new religion became paramount. But what happened was, in the very early days, traveling Christian priests or monks encountered the prevailing earth-based religions of the local people. The pre-Christian Northern European Celtic tribes divided the year into agricultural cycles based on the journey of the sun across the sky and anchored by the winter and summer solstices the fall and spring equinoxes, and four cross-quarter days that are halfway between the equinoxes and the solstices. Samhain, Halloween, is the cross-quarter day between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. The Catholic Church and the later Protestant version of what became Christianity was so successful in its appropriation of local pagan spiritual experience that the African diaspora, brought about by the slave trade, developed its own Catholic-based traditions in the Americas, incorporating Yoruba, West African, and other traditions into what became voodoo and Santeria, just to name two. Present-day Unitarian Universalists may be somewhat unhappy about tracing ancestry of the Unitarian movement to Christian origins, but be assured that these origins were anathema to established Christian or Catholic dogma. We can claim a saint, Michael Servetus. 
He described the Trinity as a three-headed Cerberus and three ghosts. Worse, in the eyes of John Calvin, Servetus expanded his idea on the nature of God and Christ in his major work, The Restoration of Christianity, which resulted in Calvin ordering him to be burned at the stake in Geneva in 1553. He was also burned in effigy. <clears throat> he was also burned in effigy by the Catholic Inquisition in France. And the Anabaptist Council of Venice in 1550 started an underground anti-Trinitarian movement in Italy, led by such people as Matteo Gribaldi. The Italian exiles from, from Catholic dogma spread their anti-Trinitarian views to Switzerland, Germany, Poland, Transylvania, and Holland. <clears throat> All of this is to say that from the beginning, Unitarians and Universalists of the 19th century have been devoted to intellectual argument that leads to religious liberty and free thought. Before I wind this up, the Protestant reformers had the gall to declare October 31st Reformation Day and November 1st the Feast of All Saints. Anything to misappropriate ancient ways that honored the earth and its seasons. <clears throat> and it just so happens that back in 2004, I came from the Christian tradition to here into the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Frederick on October 31st, Reformation Day. <laughs> when you came in this morning, you brought with you or were given a bit of ribbon one of the pagan practices that is readily available to all of us is knot tying. A knot at its most basic is a way to remember. It marks an intention, a moment, a fixed point in time. This morning, I invite you to tie the first knot in your ribbon in honor of the roots of Unitarian Universalism. We come from somewhere and without the work and vision of the ancestors of the path, we would not be here today. Weaver, weaver, weave this thread, whole and strong into your web. News for you. Hear the stags cry. Snows of winter. Summer has gone. Wind high and cold. Low the sun. Short his track. Heavy the sea. Deep red the bracken. Its shape is lost. The wild goose cries its accustomed call. Cold takes hold on bird's wings, an ice time. This is my news. Anonymous, ninth century Irish. The harvest begun at Lunasa is over.
As the first frosts arrive, the cattle are brought in from the fields, and the final harvest of the year begins, the culling. A whole herd cannot be kept, fed, and warm through the year, through the winter, and so the excess is slaughtered. The meat is dried and salted to keep the people fed through the winter and the even leaner early spring time. The time of Samhain was once, and still is to some of us, the most sacred of the Celtic holy days. The heathen Easter, as the Christian commentators put it. Specific traditions vary, of course, across Ireland, Wales, Scotland, Cornwall, Brittany. But the heart of the tradition goes back a very long way, potentially well over 2,000 years to the three nights of Samonios observed in Gaul, although the evidence that far back is scant, fragmentary, and much debated. Very debated. <laughs> the Celtic peoples reckoned the day from sunset to sunset, and as their days began with the coming darkness, so too did their years begin with the coming winter. This is why the eve of a bunch of these holidays is so important. Halloween is the evening before the first the day of Samhain. Samhain is the Irish name for this day. Indeed, in modern Irish, it is the name for the entire month of November, and it marks the day that the summer half of the year dies and the winter begins. On Samhain Eve, this world and the other come close, and the shades of the dead walk the earth unseen. For this reason, we dress in masks, so that the newly dead do not get confused and linger among us. We leave out candles and lanterns to ward away evil spirits and guide the dead along their way. We carve frightful heads out of turnips and pumpkins, although the turnips are much scarier, uh, to ward away evil. We give offerings to those who, came, who come to the door for fear of the mischief the dead might make or else children on their behalf. And we prepare our hearths. We leave food and drink out for our own dead who will come as shadows about our hearths and homes. It is a spirit night. Shades and fair folk walk the earth and spirits ride the high cold winds. I invite you now to tie a knot in your ribbon and breathe into it, or I guess think into it, uh, <laughs> COVID. Uh, remembrance of the ancestors of this holiday, the Celtic peoples whose holy day lies at the root of our own Halloween. Weaver, weaver, weave this thread. ancestors, the first thing most of us think about is our family of blood, the people whose DNA shapes the very bones within our bodies. Most of us can recall a beloved grandparent, aunt, uncle, or parent that we would give anything to sit with again. 
The beautiful part of celebrating Samhain as a holiday of the ancestors is that it offers to us that very opportunity. We create space for connection. We pay attention to the voices of the loved ones that live within us. And for those of us who follow a more mystical path, sometimes we encounter signs that our loved ones are near. Samhain season at my house becomes a parade of small signs. The scent of a familiar perfume drifts momentarily through the air. If funny things happen with the lights, sometimes I'll swear I hear a voice or sense a presence in the next room only to find no one there. It's not scary when you know what's happening. I liken it to passing a friend while driving. You honk and you wave at each other, but your travel keeps you from stopping to have a longer connection. I'm just getting honked at from the other side. <laughs> and I am so grateful for it because I miss them all so much. Knowing that my beloved dead are trying to pass a greeting is a true gift. The culture of the United States has an unhelpful and often toxic relationship with death and grief. We're expected to move on and push our grief from our thoughts. And Samhain counters that narrative. It reminds us that grief is the proof of love. It gives us space to touch those emotions and the spirits we mourn. It allows a specific time of year for communing with those who have gone before. It's an opportunity to sit with the good memories as well as the pain and to allow both of those spaces to breathe. I invite you to take a moment to think about a family member you miss. It's okay if it makes you sad. There's nothing wrong with sadness or grief. And in this holy space that we share together, I invite you to tie a knot in your ribbon in honor of your beloved dead. Weaver, weaver, weave this thread whole and strong into your web. Healer, healer, heal our pain. In love may they return again. Although the first thought upon hearing the word ancestors is often of blood relatives, in modern practice, the ancestors are a broad group that includes more than just people with whom we share DNA. One group of ancestors we honor are those who took us in as though we were their own. People who loved us or who loved our family and shared the bond of kinship. Most of us can think of someone who acted as a sibling, aunt, uncle, cousin, or grandparent, but who did not share a bloodline with us. Likewise, many of us have 
adoptions and relatives by marriage in our family lines. And those ancestors are no less our family than the ones related by blood. Family created by choice is a powerful thing, and those bonds do not diminish with death. We call those, these ancestors the ancestors of milk and honey. They shared both their nurturing with us as well as their sweetness, and we carry the mark of that connection whether we realize it or not. Expanding the idea of the ancestors to a family of love as well as blood connects us more deeply to those who have gone before. We are truly the product of the love of thousands. I invite you to think about your own ancestors of milk and honey who took you in and loved you who mentored you or shared their life with you. Take a moment to tie a knot in your ribbon for the family that chose to love you and yours. Weaver, weaver, weave this thread whole and strong into your web. One group of ancestors we honor within Frederick Cups is the ancestors of the order. We honor those who forged the paths we walk, those whose footsteps we shadow and whose words we quote. Ancestors of the order are those whom you share a life path or consuming purpose, even if they are people you will never meet in person. Scott Cunningham is an ancestor of the order of modern witchcraft. Freddie Mercury is an ancestor of the Order for Musicians. Michelangelo is an ancestor of the Order for Artists. Our ancestors of the Order can also share our oppressions and challenges. They include those people who broke the ground that we now walk on. Marsha P. Johnson, a self-identified drag queen and a prominent gay liberation activist, is one of the most well-known participants in the Stonewall Uprising. The Stonewall Riots of 1969 were solidified as a key movement of the LGBTQ civil rights movement by the marches that began a year later. Today, June is celebrated as Pride Month in commemoration of the event, but Marsha's life did not end in glory. It ended with her body being found floating in the Hudson River, most likely the victim of violence. And so we can honor the struggle of the ancestors of the order. At Samhain, we honor those who fought, suffered, and even died to bring us the world that we now live in. Though they may not rest in peace, may they rise in power. Take a moment to think about those who inspired you or those who paved the way you now follow. 
I invite you to tie a knot in your ribbon in honor of your own ancestor of your order. Weaver, weaver, weave this thread whole and strong into your web. Healer, healer, heal our pain. In love may they return again. So I have personally struggled with the concept of ancestor worship and incorporating that into my personal practice. I find the idea of venerating or exalting ancestors that I wouldn't invite to a barbecue to be kind of difficult. So to help you understand that, I'm gonna share a little bit of my own family's history. My grandmother was the oldest daughter and the second oldest child of a family of eight children. Her father was a World War I veteran, and I can only speculate about what happened, but I know that her mother left the family uh, shortly after the eighth child was born. And then her father left shortly after that. And he may have gone to find his wife and convince her to come back to the family, or he may have gone into a VA hospital, which is something that happened a lot for him. He left some money with his children, thinking probably that he wouldn't be gone very long. And his oldest at the time would have only been 12 or 13, my grandmother only 11 or 12 at the time, together taking care of their six younger siblings with the youngest of those eight children only being a few months old. When both parents had been gone, longer than a week, and the money for food ran out. Social services became involved, and they separated all eight children amongst distant family. My grandmother's last memory of her siblings was a social worker forcibly removing her sister from her arms. And she didn't see any of them again for 50 years. And she never really recovered from that. She tried to make a family of her own to make up for all the ones that she lost, but that trauma lived on in her children. They didn't learn how to have healthy boundaries. They, they never really learned what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like. They didn't learn how to apologize to each other. What they did learn was anger. They learned to yell and to hit 
and they punished each other for every little thing. I no longer speak to my living family because most of them haven't reached this point of just being tired of holding all of that. The dysfunction in my family is like a cancer that eats away at every generation. And most of them don't even know why they're mad. And for me, this is a very recent part of my family's legacy, two and three generations removed, but I can still go back further and find more. I have ancestors that were slave owners. I know who they were and where they lived and, and just how many people they owned. I can almost guarantee that there are things that we all carry that aren't really part of our lives, things that we inherited from our ancestors, whether that was recent or very long ago. So, if the idea of worshiping or honoring ancestors doesn't really quite sit right with you, I wanted to give you an idea of what incorporating this kind of practice into your spiritual life might look like without that specific element. At least for me, understanding some of that history it allows me to offer my ancestors some grace. When I'm able to see my ancestors as whole, complicated, and hurt people, I'm better able to forgive as I get to know who they were. And I'm also better able to offer myself some grace as well as I work on healing those legacies. I invite you all to take a moment to consider your challenging ancestors and tie a knot to remember that all beings are deserving of grace, including ourselves. Weaver, weaver, weave this thread whole and strong into your web. Healer, healer, heal our pain. In love may they return again. We have talked a lot about the ancestors who have gone before us but there's one group we've left out. It's the one sitting right here, right now. We are the ancestors yet to come. The river we sail on continues after us. What we do now influences how the tapestry will unfold. We are the ancestors of the ones yet to be, of blood, of milk and honey, of the order, or of culture and history. Just as our ancestors shaped the world we live in now, we are shaping the world yet to come. The seventh generation principle is based on a Haudenosaunee philosophy that the decisions we make today should result in a sustainable world seven generations into the future. Knowing that we can send both blessing and challenges to our descendants can inspire us to do better now. Think about the patterns that you do not wish to share. 
working on ourselves, our communication skills, and improving our relationships to each other means a healthier family for those who are yet to come. Take a moment to think about the world you wish to create for your descendants. Imagine what you would like to bless them with, and then tie a knot in your ribbon to seal that blessing in peace. Weaver, weaver, weave this thread whole and strong into your web. Healer, healer, heal our pain. In love may they return again. There are many ways to include our ancestors in a spiritual practice, particularly around Samhain. One way to honor them is to build an ancestral altar. A simple version would be to put out some photos and memorabilia where they can be seen. You can add flowers, a candle or two, or a cup for making offerings. Ancestral altars can be more elaborate as well. The one here today is an example of the kind we use here at Frederick Cups every year for Samhain. It includes memento mori as well as familial objects and photographs and is an elaborate focus point for visiting with our loved ones. Once you've set up your ancestral altar, spend some time there. Talk with your beloved dead. Tell their stories if you have family members who did not know them. Stories are a wonderful way to keep people present in our hearts and minds. Another tradition is a silent supper, sometimes referred to as a dumb feast. We make the dishes our loved ones like to eat, then we set a beautiful table with places laid for those who we wish to join us. Invite our beloved dead and eat in silence so that we can better commune with them. If your friends or family are buried nearby, visiting and tidying up their graves is also a wonderful way to observe the holiday and dem demonstrably show your ancestors that they are loved and remembered. Spend time at the last earthly holding of those ones you are honoring. Say their names out loud. There's extra potency at this time of year. Depending on the graveyard, leave an offering of autumnal flowers may be a good option to do. Samhain is a season as well as a specific holiday. Today, Samhain, today is Samhain, the holiday, but it doesn't mean you've missed the bus if you'd like to get started. With the pagan wheel of the year, this time is a time of connection with the world of the dead, and it lasts until the days grow longer at Yule, the winter solstice. I invite you to take a moment to think about how you'd like to honor your ancestors this year, or how you already honor them in your practice. Then tie a knot in your ribbon to mark the ways you honor your beloved dead. Weaver, weaver, weave this thread whole and strong into your web. Healer, healer,
Everyone take a nice deep breath in. Let it out. It's heavy, isn't it? Right? Grief is hard, and it's also beautiful. Remember to keep breathing deeply. That really does help. So earlier this morning, many of the speakers you've heard here today gathered to build an ancestral altar to share with you. We have a collection of little battery-powered tea lights with us, and after the service, if you are so moved, we welcome you to place one in honor of your ancestors. We're happy to help you do so, and several of us will remain for a while to answer questions and hear your reflections, if that would be helpful to you. We wish you a very blessed Samhain. May you feel the love of your ancestors today and every day. How about the pumpkin chalice, all right? <laughs> the great pumpkin has blessed us mightily uh, today. So we're, we have just a few minutes. Uh, I'll say a few more things. First, gratitude to the members of our Frederick Covenant of UU Pagans for shaping a, a beautiful sacred space as well as sharing uh, incredibly powerful words. And for me personally, and I think this is fairly common, I mean, to, the, the biggest piece that I get from our, our sixth source of Unitarian Universalism of that Earth-centered tradition really is that question, can you feel the wheel of the year turning? And with each passing year, as I you know, learn more about paganism and indigenous spiritualities, I really can. I can feel it in my body, I can feel it in my heart, I can feel it in my mind to feel the wheel of the year turning. And it's, you know, it's, it's really inviting us to notice these kind of archetypal things, you know, that, that the falling, you can look out the window and you can look out the window at home as well and see, you know, with the leaves falling, it's inviting us to notice, you know, what are we being invited to let go of? Sort of with each point on the wheel of the year, there are these archetypal lessons that we're being invited to see. I mean, you can even see, like, we have a, a skull or two on our, on our altar, right? What is traditionally known as a, a, a memento mori, right? A reminder of death as the, the Buddhist, uh, one famous inquiry question in the Buddhist tradition uh, is, since death alone is certain and the time of death uncertain, how shall I live? Since none of us are getting out of this alive, right? Salon's a reminder of that. We're going to become ancestors, as we were reminded. And so how, how can we become good ancestors? But since death alone is certain, and t the time of death uncertain, what shall I do next? Right? Not Because none of us know how much time we have. It can be really a, I mean, I guess it could be a depressing question, but it can also be an incredibly sharpening question. You know, re being reminded of your mortality can really be like, wake up, <laughs> you know, like death alone is certain. The time of death is uncertain. What shall I do? How might I, you know, squeeze the most out of this life? So I, I think that uh, Samhain is also a time for that. If you've also had a sense in, in this service, if you, and this may or may not be the case for you, it, it's totally fine, uh, but if you've had a sense for, of like, I kind of like these pagan folks. Like, I kind of, this drumming stuff, it's kind of my jam, you know? Like, I like this chanting business. I like this 
altar, you know, I'm feeling kind of drawn to this. This is really interesting. Like if there's a sense in that, this is something Frederick Cups does actually in much more elaborate ways, you know, often around at least the eight points of the wheel of the year. Some of you may have seen there was a weight bound by the willow tree it was this incredible, like it was like this, but all woven into our weeping willow tree and with stations all around. So if that speaks to you, just know that you know, pay attention to our e-newsletter. Pay attention to what Frederick Cups is doing in the same way our atheist humanist agnostic group or our Buddhist group or, you know, depending on which one or more spiritual paths speak to you. And I think also, as C. Raven pointed out, that sort of, you know, Christian heritage of Unitarian Universalism, that both the Unitarian and the Universalist side of our heritage were liberal Christians in the 19th century and before, so too, in particular, in the 19th century, a ton of our universalist ancestors were super into spiritualism. So they were super into like tarot and seances and also that, that is also deeply a part of our, of our UU heritage. Uh, two other last things. One is I, I think Halloween or Samhain is an interesting time to think about and you know how there's some kind of uh, scary stuff up here, like the turn up. Right, it's really frightening, Jack. Uh, yeah. uh, think about etymologically the similarity between the word scared, sacred, and scarred. Those are all very etymologically similar words. And I think that often things that are, are sacred, sometimes they're scarring or come out of scars and things that are that are sacred. And I think it has to do with like, you know, kindling our, our chalice flame and candles that, you know, are, are the chalice, this, that we talk about Unitarian Universalism as a living tradition embodied by a flame. And, and I think that's a beautiful image. If you think about fire at night, if you've ever like had people kind of scattered around at night and then somebody lights a fire, what happens? People all like a moth to a flame, right? They gather around so that, and fire is enchanting. And that's part of, I think, what we're doing as religious people. We're creating community. But here's the thing, that flame, and again, Sierra, I'm giving Sierra even a lot of shout outs, so thanks. Uh, the, she mentioned Servetus, right? Like was, was killed, was burned at the stake so that Fire can create community, but it can also burn us. And so religion has, has it's, it's that we're really playing with something that is sacred, but that can also be scarring, that can also be scary, but also like encounters with ancestors, can, those kind of weight, like that can be scary, but also say, like, do you, do you kind of see what I'm saying? We're playing with fire, with religion. Right, and, and we try to do it in life-giving ways that are like a bonfire, but sometimes that gets out of control. I mean, think about the fires in, out west that have been happening. The final piece I'll, I'll leave us with as we think about the ancestors of, of Samhain, both how the ancestors that we are, but also the ancestors, to think about those directions. I think it's helpful occasionally to consider how rapidly ancestors multiply. So I'm, I'm gonna speak, I think there's some powerful words said here about ancestors of, I mean, ancestors and family of choice, so keep all that in mind. But I mean just in particular biological ancestry. Like if you just look back, it's like we have two parents, we have four grandparents, we have eight great-grandparents, and then it just proliferates, right? Eight, 16 at the next level. 32, 64, 128, 256. My math is going to stop in a second. But 
you get the point, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's just a few gener- and it goes the other direction too. Like, it's just, like we could say, we're, all the children around of the carnival, we could write, we could, we could say this explicitly. How many people had to have sex for you to be here? <laughs> right? Right? So, not, anyway. There's a lot more to say about all that. But as you, so, so as we think about, you know, how do we, how do we become the ancestors that we wish we'd had? And in some ways, maybe we did have. You know, if we had those ancestors, how can we be similar ancestors to other folks? That we don't want to just study UU history. We don't just want to honor pagan history. We want to make history. We are making history for other people, right? So may we continue our journey in love. May we care for one another. May we care for this one earth. We're not going to get another one. May we do justice. May we make peace. And whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, of peace or joy, whatever connection you've maybe felt to your ancestors who have come before or who may yet to come, that goes with you. We are different for having spent this time together. May we live boldly. May we live with thanksgiving.